At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Sherry Minnelli of the podcast, Earth Friendly Homeowner, to talk about her experience with permaculture and dealing with HOAs. Sherry is the founder of the Secrets of Soil Society and the co-host and co-producer of the Earth Friendly Homeowner Podcast. She works part-time for Green Garden Group, which teaches people how to turn their lawn into drought-tolerant landscapes. She helps start a garden at her kids' school and volunteers for the Future Farmers of America Club at her daughter's high school, where she is working to make them more sustainable. She is working on co-creating a food forest in her subdivision, HOA Yard, that will inspire others. Welcome to the show today, Sherry. Thank you. Nice to have you. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. Well, um, my kids right now are 14 and two 10-year-olds, twins. Wow. And when they were about five and maybe eight years old, I decided I was getting really frustrated by buying produce in the stores because I always felt like even though I was buying organic, I wasn't ever sure if it was really organic and how the soil was treated and, you know, how much nutrients were really in the food. And I was worried about GMOs. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, I live in the most amazing place in the world in the San, San Diego County. And I thought, why am I not growing any of my own food? And so that kind of started it. I had I had grown some food when I was six years old with my parents, but that was about my experience. And I thought, oh, this will be fun. So I started looking at every book I could on organic gardening. And, you know, I just kept coming to the same conclusion. Okay, so if you don't do organic gardening, you just spray all the pests with something. But if you do organic gardening, you still spray all the pests with something that's, I guess, organic. And there's something that just didn't sit well with me, and I just felt like there was something wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Uh-huh. And I came across Toby Hemingway's book, Gaia's uh, Garden. Oh, yes. And, oh, my God, it was one of those aha moments where it's like, oh, this all makes sense now. Ecology, the soil, the microbes. Um, you working know, with putting nature. In, working with nature, putting wow. in other plants that bring in beneficials. I didn't know about beneficials. I didn't know about all the different kinds of pollinators. I didn't really understand, you know, how plants work together. And that was that was a big thing for me. And then the second thing I discovered was the Teeming with Microbes book. Oh, and yes. all of a sudden it made sense because I kept feeling like there's something wrong about putting 
all these other substances to kill everything on the plants, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And obviously, subconsciously, I kind of figured it out about the soil, that there was something else that was important. And so I, that all brought me to permaculture. I fell in love with it, and I, I, get, I get a little addicted where I'll... <laughs> I'm just voracious, and so I read every book I could possibly find on it and watched every video. I fell in love with Brad Lancaster's books and uh, The Greening the Desert with uh, Jeff Lawton, Mm -hmm. also with Dr. John Todd. He had done some work on bioremediation, and I had a water issue in my backyard where I was kind of worried about some toxic water, and so I was exploring that. And I came upon Dr. Elaine Ingham because of teaming with microbes and instantly went, oh, my gosh, this lady has just incredible information that needs to get out of there, out here. And I ended up doing a bit of marketing for her because marketing is is one of my background skills. And and this was also while while running a full-time business with my husband, we design equipment, um, electronics for guitar players. Uh but. My love was really not in music or <laughs> electronics. It was really in nature. Yeah. So, you know, I just felt like, you know, my calling was trying to do something to show my kids how to be a little bit more sustainable. And live more consciously on the planet, maybe? Yes, yes. And I, I think that you can't help but do that. When you start gardening, I think it... You know, all of a sudden you realize the connection between what you're putting in your mouth and the water that you put on it and anything that you put on your plants and what what's in your soil. And I think it makes you very, very conscious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've experienced that over the past 40 years in coming to that realization. So I have a question for you, and I'm going to throw this one in at you. Define permaculture. I would say that permaculture is working with nature in such a way that it makes less work for you for the long term. Perfect. Perfect. I know that everybody that does a permaculture design course, and for our listeners, a permaculture design course, uh, actually, you've done a permaculture design course, yes? Yes, yes. I took one about a year and a half ago. Great. Tell us about what a permaculture design course is so that our listeners know. Well, actually, when I first took it, I was confused. I wasn't really sure what I was supposed to learn or going to learn. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't realize it was Bill Mollison's book on permaculture, and he's got several. Yes. And it's a big design book, and it's really going through that design book and understanding um, what he has written. And uh, to, to me, that's... Um, and it's a good starting point. I, I can't believe how much information Bill Mollison knew and was able to put in a single book. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? You know, it is. And I think what's more amazing, I had this re- revelation a few weeks ago, is one person, Bill Mollison, well, two people, Bill Mollison and, and David Holmgren. Holmgren, um, who, yes. Holmgren, Holmgren, who wrote the book. I, I just find it amazing that they could write a book and look at, I don't know how many years later it is, 30, 40, whatever yeah. years later, mm-hmm. how much of an impact they have had on so many people. I know. Isn't that crazy cool? So it makes me think that I could do one thing and I might not see instantly any kind of impact that it'll have, but you never know. Yeah, exactly. Hey, my friend Bill McDormand says if you're not thinking out a hundred or a thousand years with the changes you want to make, 
you're not thinking big enough. So. Wow. Yeah, I know. Isn't that, well, and start thinking that way. If you start thinking that way, then, you know, it kind of starts changing the way you think. It really is a cool. Anyways. So I hear that you teach classes on how to turn a lawn into a California friendly garden. So what is that? Well, I got involved with that because um, about a year and a half ago, Governor Jerry Brown finally made it illegal for the homeowners associations to fine people who were taking out their front yard or who had brown lawns because we had a problem. We had a drought. We weren't supposed to be watering our lawns. But at the same time, the homeowners association would fine you, I think it was up to $800 Wow. uh, at some point, and then it would just continue and... You know, at some point they could put a lien on your home and and uh, for not it, keeping it your grass got, green yeah and I had gone uh, about a month earlier I wanted to change out my lawn because it was already looking really bad and I didn't want to put in new sod and I didn't want to put in new seeds because I knew how much water it would take mm-hmm. so I wanted to do something that was a little bit more I guess they called it zero scape but I was thinking something with you know some nice salvias I wanted something that would look kind of lush, but be drought tolerant, have more Mediterranean plants and more natives. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I distinctly remember talking to one of the the people who worked for the management company of the HOA, and they said, Zeroscape? No, we can't let you do that. If we let you pull, pull out most of your yard, your lawn, most people will want to. Oh my gosh, thinking, really? <laughs> yeah, that's the whole point. And about a month later is when... Um, Actually, Jerry Brown was considering that, and I remember I sent an email and I left a message for the governor's office. Uh I don't know if they really heard me, but I had said, you know, it's a great thing what you're trying to do, but it's not going to work because most of us are with HOAs. So unless you can override the HOAs, you're not going to see any any difference, um, you know, with this law, uh, with with, uh, cutting back on, on, you know, cutting back on anything with water. And so then they had done that so here's 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 my contention my contention is is that your email and your call is what had it get put in place how's that sound yes (laughs) (laughs) i would love to think that yeah well why not why not yeah exactly why not so you're you're actually helping people do this through teaching classes yes well so what had happened is i started getting interested in changing my lawn and i was not a designer um i wasn't quite sure where to even start with it. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, Diane, she was a few blocks away and she had already converted her yard, but she was getting harassed quite a bit by the HOA. Mm-hmm. And I went to one of her classes and she was teaching for Green Garden Group and they were contracted through Metropolitan Water District to teach these classes. And I was blown away by what they were teaching because they were actually teaching about the soil food web, which is what Dr. Elaine Ingham had come up with. And they were teaching a lot of Brad Lancaster's um, techniques. They were teaching so much in a three-hour class, and I thought, oh, my gosh, I have to teach this. (laughs) And I just had this overwhelming feeling of I want to help teach this. Uh And so this last uh, September, I ended up taking the classes that I needed to take in order to start teaching it. And it's it's very rewarding because I see a lot of – it's a lot of older folks Mm – you know, Getting it's not smart. 20-somethings. Right. It's more of the, I'm seeing a lot of 
50, 60-year-olds that want to change their front yard, but they're not quite sure how to do it. Uh-huh. And watching them come out of the class and and have that epiphany. Um, and the reason we started the podcast, um, we've got a podcast now, Earth Friendly Homeowner, is I felt like people were walking out of the class, and although they, they learned so much in three hours, I was worried that they would forget some of what they learned or that there were more aspects that I wish they had more detail on or just that there were so many people that wanted to be earth-friendly, but they just needed a little bit of information like how to get solar or what else to do for alternative energy or how to get rid of some of these toxins in their home or so forth. So they needed a nudge. Yeah, they needed a little bit of a nudge, and they just needed a little bit of reinforcement because even when I did my front yard, I had done it totally wrong. It was the worst failure ever. Um <laughs> I, I left That's how the we gardener learned. that was Yeah, well I let the gardener who um you know, had done this a few times talk me into things that he I shouldn't have done, but I was under so much pressure because I knew I had to get this done fast. There was a rebate for doing it through the state and you had to do it within a certain amount of time or you didn't get the money. And so what I had done is I had torn out the yard and then I I let him talk me into this plastic landscape cloth oh, that I Lord. can't believe I even <laughs> thought of doing. But he convinced me, no, no, you don't want weeds. You really want this. This will really help. So I did that, and then I thought, I need mulch. Where can I get mulch? I need mulch immediately. And I went to Home Depot, and I looked for something without dyes, and I put down redwood. And about two weeks later, I looked at it, and I went, it was one of those dumb moments where I went, wait a minute, redwood doesn't decay. Mm. I'm not going to... I'm not going to do anything with my soil here. I'm not feeding the microbes. Right. So I am just finishing redoing my entire front yard because um, I had to pull out everything and redo it. It was still rock hard. It um, There was no life in that soil. Uh-huh. Wow. So just a note to our listeners, never, 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 never use plastic mulch, right? And never, never, never use redwood mulch either, because <laughs> yeah. if you use redwood mulch, you're not going to have any benefit. Right, exactly. Exactly. Here's what I tell people here in Phoenix. Go find somebody that's chipping wood in your area and get that. Exactly. And it, it's amazing. Just in a few we- few months since I started doing the project uh-huh. in one part of the yard, you should see how luscious that soil is. Oh, I know. It's so nice that how quickly it works. So... Tell us about your Earth-Friendly Homeowner podcast. I'm really excited to hear about that. Well, we decided that we really needed to go after a different audience because um, I love the per- I love permaculture, mm-hmm. I love urban farming, but I felt like there was a specific group of people who wanted to do more, but they just had no idea where to start and they didn't know these terms, permaculture, right. urban farming. Mm-hmm. So that was the group we decided to go after, and um, we cover everything from how to build a soil sponge and do sheet mulching to um, water harvesting to how to reduce the toxins in your um, home. You know, everything from, we'll be covering laundry detergent to cleaning you know, your home and what you can right. clean with. Exactly. Uh, gray water, um, pretty much uh, alternative energy, pretty much, you know, whatever our listeners are interested in hearing more about, that's where we're going with it. Nice. How many episodes have you put out? 
We've put out seven right now, and uh, we've got a, a few more uh, ready to go this week to, to get out there. Fantastic. Congratulations. I know it's always uh, it's always a push to get one of these started, and it's always nice when it's you're on the kind of the downhill side. You're actually putting them out, you know? Absolutely. So dealing with HOAs, when somebody says HOA in gardening or HOA in chickens, I just laugh under my breath. Um what suggestion do you have for farmers and gardeners living in HOA neighborhoods? Well, I think it's very important to pay attention to the aesthetics because if you're if you're going to be messy, the homeowners or the other neighbors are probably going to come after you. So mm-hmm. I really enjoy Rosalind Creasy's book on edible landscaping. Oh my gosh. She has some very clever ways of getting the most beautiful landscapes going and filling it with herbs and vegetables and fruit and you don't even realize what's there. Mm-hmm. I think that that's important. I think it's really important to get involved in your HOA with with just talking to the board. Um, there might be a landscape committee. Uh-huh. I'm trying to get more involved. It's just difficult with a business and a podcast and three kids. <laughs> but I definitely am voicing my opinion a lot more like I... I see how much Roundup is being sprayed. Oh, my gosh. We've, we have a set of gardeners that come, and this is a huge association here. Mm-hmm. It's over 2,000 homes. So gardeners come and spray in the common areas Roundup like you can't believe. Wow. So I started voicing my opinion on nextdoor.com, which is they've got little groups depending on you know, your, your subdivision. So you, yeah, yeah, your neighborhood. So I signed up for that and you know started really talking about it and complaining and giving more information about it and got a lot of people interested in at least talking about it. I, I haven't had a lot of success yet, but I think the first, the first thing is just making people more aware of what's going on and exactly. how it's affecting everybody here. Here, tell, share this with them. That's where the kids and the pets play. So now the exactly. kids, now the kids and the pets are taking up that roundup into their body, and you know, like that. Yeah, and here in the HOAs, unlike the school districts where they're doing it, in the HOAs, none of the gardeners are posting any kind of sign. So I right. saw him spraying, and then I saw kids an hour later and mm-hmm. pets walk in that same area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that we have to be really uh, cognizant about. Right. But on a positive note, the more people we get into gardening, the more aware you are of that kind of thing. I think five years ago, if somebody had sprayed Roundup, I I wouldn't have figured out the connection. Right, exactly. Um, Right. So talk about a time that you failed and how you overcame that failure. (laughs) I have failed so much. (laughs) We could go on for days here about my failures. Um, Well, besides my front yard failing and having to redo that, I got all excited about doing hugel culture in my backyard. So I made this huge, huge, what I thought was a hugel culture, which meant that I took every branch that I had and and leaves and I, I made a big pile and then I tried planting on it. But what I didn't realize was that when Sep does it, he puts a lot just a lot of um, soil or dirt or something else on top 
And I was trying to plant it, and it just looked like a mess. I had a friend come over and say, oh, you're doing a compost pile. <laughs> I went, no, this is not a compost pile. This is supposed to be a hugo culture. Yeah. So that was kind of an embarrassment. Um, but what I learned from it is that you really need other people. You know, I think Bill Mollison says that you know something... I don't even know how you know he said it specifically, but I always assumed that I could do everything by myself, mm. and I think that's been the biggest lesson. And I think the Hugel culture pointed it out. If I, you can read all you want, but experience is really what you need, and you also need the experience of being around others and seeing what right. they've done. I know in a lot of places they call them perma blitzes, or you know, basically permaculture. Uh, barn buildings, metaphorically. Um, have you yes. seen any of those? And in the I, that that was um, that was actually what I've come up with in the last few weeks, months. Is that I need to do some perma blitzes here because yeah. I've got a pretty big yard for Southern California standards for an HOA, mm-hmm. and the only way I'm going to create this oasis that I want is is by having other people involved. Yeah. Well, and then they get to learn at the same time too. And there's a there's plenty of people who have hardly any yard, or they have an apartment, right. or a yeah. condo, or a townhouse, and they really want to be in a yard. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, as a side note, if you go back to that permaculture designer's manual, and for those of you listening out there, it's a textbook size book. What's it got to be? Eight hundred pages. Um, easily, yeah. Yeah, easily. In that book, there is something called a banana pit. It's something that they do in tropical areas. And basically, it's almost what you were doing with your Hugel culture. But what they do is they dig a pit and they throw all of their everything, all their compost, all their sticks, all their branches, all their everything into the middle of the pit. And then they plant bananas around it. So you almost had it. Well, and I actually ended up doing a banana pit in the front yard. Oh, Um, very good. I did it right in front, very uh, at the... Uh, edge of my fence mm-hmm. in between my house and my neighbor's house and I dug a I just had a huge mulch pit there and I'm I'm well known in my garden club for not watering things I'm very stingy with water and that area I I never watered the banana trees and they're all surviving because it's right next to the downspout um and so it's getting water just from any time it rains. Yep. And I think that mulch pit just held all that water yep. and allowed those bananas to grow. So I feel I feel a little strange having a drought-tolerant front yard and then bananas, but it's going to be an area where my gray water comes out, and I wanted to show that you can use almost no water, no extra city water, and end up with some really incredible food. Nice. Good job. So... What do you consider your biggest success in all of this? Oh, my biggest success. I would say um, my biggest success would be how many of my neighbors I've influenced. I had a neighbor, and she had never planted anything in her life, and she saw all the herbs I had, and this was about three years ago. And I got her so excited that she actually had me come over and show her kids with her how to plant something. She was terrified. And we planted some herbs, and she was so inspired by it, she went out and bought a few other herbs and planted them by herself. Nice. 
And then I had a few other neighbors that started planting things because of me. And I had a few that bought blueberry bushes and you know, put them in containers because they, they got excited by my blueberries. Right. And so I feel like that was my bi- biggest success was watching other people um, either change their front yard into something drought tolerant or add more edibles because of something I did. Nice. Good job. So Thank you. you mentioned blueberries and containers, and that's not that's something I'm starting to experiment with here. Can you can you tell us about that? How's your success been? Yeah, like that. You know, I wouldn't say I'm like tremendously successful, but um, I've at least overcome the failure. I made the mistake. I, I found out we have very alkaline soil, yep, and I do. thought, oh, I can put I'll put it in the ground and it'll be fine, and I can add some pine shavings or something, and it'll work. But it didn't. So I finally went to the containers. And anytime I have a little bit of extra water, like in my kitchen, like somebody doesn't finish a glass of water Mm -hmm. or I've got some extra tea, it all goes into, I'll just walk outside and throw it into the pot where the blueberries are. Perfect. And um, they've, they've done really well. And I think the most exciting part to me is watching my kids go outside and graze. And, you know, I'll see especially when they were, the twins were little, watching them go out there and pick peas before school and eat them and pick a blueberry. And unfortunately, almost nothing ends up in the house. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. They, they're eating some healthy food and, right, they, exactly. and they're having a good time anyway. Nice. So what drives you? What's your big why in all of this? I think my biggest drive is just... Well, I guess we'd have to go back. When I was six, I lived by a pond. And what I found out about two years ago is that they were dumping all sorts of toxic stuff into not only the pond, but um, that was getting into our drinking water. Mm -hmm. So I found out that every um, three or four weeks, our water would smell really funny and taste really funny. And my mom, um, at 30 years old, got cancer, along with a lot of other people on the street. And I think it drove me to want to do something about the environment. But I think beyond that, it was watching Jeff Lawton's video on greening the desert. I always thought that being an environmentalist or an activist was all about just creating a little bit less pollution or less of a mess and having less of a footprint. But until I discovered permaculture, I didn't know that you could actually fix the problems. <laughs> I didn't know that you could actually have a positive impact. I didn't know, you know, I would always hear, we're losing so many inches of soil a year, and it was also depressing. And I didn't, and, and at some point, I think I just gave up, and I was like, well, it doesn't matter how much more trash I make because, you know, you can't fix it anyway. Right. And when I discovered that you, you could grow soil, you could build soil, that you could uh, re-green deserts that you could take polluted water and by using plants clean it up it, it just gave me so much hope so I think what I want to do is spread the hope because I just didn't even know what was possible and I think most people don't yeah because there's so much possible and it's up to us to figure it out yeah and it's exciting I mean there's nothing better than knowing um, and following some of these people, I follow Neil Spackman, and he's in Saudi Arabia. They get three inches on average a year. They went for five wow. years without rain. And he is using a water budget, and he is greening the desert, and he's doing amazing things there. And I think, 
oh my gosh, if we could do that there, what can we do in Southern California? And what can I do around my house? So I think I want to be the change that I want to see in the world. And it took me a long time to realize that I was getting excited about other projects in other part of the world, but I wasn't really creating the change here. So the last two years, I've really focused on getting my gutters so that I could get the rainwater harvesting going and um, digging all the pipes and all of the things I need so I could get the gray water going going soon and getting more plants planted and getting the swales done and really building my soil. So I've really started focusing more on myself and what I can do here instead of the outside of what people aren't doing. Yeah. Well, and that's that's what I always try and do with my life is I, I focus on the positive and what we can do rather than fighting against something. I work for something. Yeah. And it, it it's making, for me, it's making a huge difference. It is for me, too, because I feel like I'm getting a lot more traction now. Right. Yeah. I find in that happy, positive place, it attracts more people. So, you know, I hold up urban farming and urban gardening like, hey, look at this. You can do this and you can grow your own food and it's easy. And that gets people excited rather than trying to fight against a system or, you know, like that. Right, right. So what projects are you currently working on? Tell us, how do we find out about your podcast? Tell us a little bit more about your podcast and any other projects you're working on. Okay, well, the podcast is at earthfriendlyhomeowner.com, or you can go into iTunes or Stitcher and find Mm -hmm. it. Um, We're also on Facebook. And um, let's see, projects, oh my gosh. Well, I'm still finishing my front yard. I'm just about done. It's taken me a lot longer than I thought it was going to to remove all the redwood, remove all that plastic landscape cloth, <laughs> yeah. and to put in some compost and dig that in and put in some swales and, and then uh, add, add back all the mulch. But that's, that project's just about done. Um, I'm working on, I've got a 60 by 80 foot hill in my backyard, and these subdivisions here where I live were cut out of hills, uh-huh. and they're pretty steep. Um, I think it's a 28% grade, and so my goal, my hill and many of my neighbors are very eroded. My neighbor was spending uh, $400 a month on his water bill, and I refused to water my back uh, hill because I just didn't want to waste all that water in the last several years. Right. So my goal is to figure out how I can create um, a food forest and something that looks nice and um, how I can dig some kind of swale or there's another method, the fish scales, mm-hmm. how I can do something so that I can hold the water on the hill and teach my neighbors how to do it. Mm. So that's a big project. And, and you can oh, find you, you can find a lot about that in Brad Lancaster's books, Rainwater Harvesting for Drylands. Yeah, and that's, that book has been really, really helpful, and we just interviewed him um, for our podcast uh, last week. Oh, very and good. And so that episode's coming up. But yeah, we, we talked a lot about El Nino because out here in California, and actually I think most of us out here in what, Oregon and Washington and Arizona mm-hmm. and Nevada and I don't know how, New Mexico, I don't know how much further it goes. We're all, you know, dealing with droughts and then El Ninos. So um, he, he, he spoke a lot about the El Nino and oh, I think that, that'll be very helpful to people. Yeah, exactly. And the El Nino for us in the Southwest means that we're getting a lot of water. Yeah. And, you know, what we really need to learn is, 
you know, unfortunately, there's some myths, and we're trying to conquer those myths. The myth is that, oh, this El Nino, now we don't even have to worry about conservation or water because exactly. El Nino would take care of it, but right. that's, that's actually not true at all. We still have to pay attention to this stuff, guys. So I'm all about education. And I have to know, is there one book, and I know you've mentioned many books, is there one book that has been most influential for you? One book. It's hard for me to say one book because there's so many that have influenced me. I like any book that has a story in it. And I think Brad Lancaster's books on rainwater harvesting did a lot for me because he spoke about going to Africa Africa. and... And he spoke about wanting to leave Tucson because he was so frustrated by all the problems. And he was told, no, 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 if you, if you leave, your problems will follow you. You have to go there and solve those problems. And he did. <laughs> yeah. And look at what an impact he's made on all of us because he wrote those books. Yeah, exactly. So I find his books incredibly helpful. And I also love uh, another book that I hadn't mentioned, which is Paradise Lot. Um, have you read that book? Paradise Lot? Yeah, it's by uh, Eric Tolmeister and Dave Jackie, I believe. Oh. Hmm. They're in Massachusetts, and they bought a duplex, and they had one-tenth of an acre, and they turned the backyard from pretty much asphalt into this food paradise, this urban food paradise. And I just found them so inspiring because they're making money from giving tours, but they're giving, making money. You know, you have volunteer plants pop up that you don't exactly want. Yep. Um, he'll he'll let people dig them up and and pay for them and take those home and nice. make money on that. And he's really educating people. And and I I am all about education as well. I think the more we can educate um, our grade schoolers and our high schoolers. That's the next generation, and they will have a, a profound impact on politics in the future and, yeah. and laws and, and the way things um, Frame out, happen. move forward, change, yeah, all of that. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Well, here's something surprising that I learned. Plant natives. If you plant mm-hmm. about 10% native in your urban gardens, you'll get a lot more ecology. You'll get a lot more native pollinators, mm-hmm. beneficials. Um, you'll get a whole host of benefits. So I hadn't even thought about planting natives in with garden. It never dawned on me until recently. And that's my newest bit of advice. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Sherry. It's been a great treat chatting with you and and learning about your experiences. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Uh, The best way to get a hold of us is go to earthfriendlyhomeowner.com. And there's links there or get on to Facebook and look at Earth Friendly Homeowner there as well. Perfect. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. 
One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.